All right, good morning. All right. This may be a record getting up to preach at 11.30. So I think I might have my work cut out to keep you engaged. Try not to think too much about lunch right now. I shouldn't have said that word today. But we, uh, I may actually end up uh, abbreviating a little bit of this morning. But um, I just, I, I think it's great that what we've been able to do this morning, be able to celebrate together all that God's doing in the lives of those being baptized and also just beginning to connect with this season of Advent that we're in. And this morning, we're going to be focusing in on the theme of hope. And I'm going to speak from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. And so if you have a Bible, you can pull that out. Um, Before we get to that, though, I wanted to take a moment um, and... This began, this, this began with a very personal um, desire, but actually, as I kind of thought about it, I realized that it was strongly connected to what I'm speaking about this morning. Many of you will know that uh, Tom and Rosanna Heisman, would you guys just wave? If they're back at the moment. They've been serving this morning. They're, this is actually the Milner's last Sunday to be with Tom and Rosanna at, at LLCC here. They've been with us for a year. If you don't know them, they've been serving as volunteers, working as interns. They came from the King's Arms in England. And there'll be an opportunity to hear from them and to thank them, I think, on a Sunday nearer Christmas um, when I won't be here. So I wanted to take a minute just to personally acknowledge um, what a gift they have been, um, not just to the church here, but also to me. When, uh, when they came uh, back in February of this year, they were here, they'd been here a couple of months, and uh, I was getting ready, it was the end of a, a morning, we were getting ready to do prayer for ministry time and all of that stuff, and I was getting ready to go and pray, and uh, I felt the Lord say to me, uh, I want you to lie on the floor, I don't want you to go pray. I didn't like the idea of that, I felt self-conscious and didn't want to take time for myself when I wanted to pray. But I lay on the floor rather uncomfortably. And as I did and closed my eyes, uh, the Lord gave me a picture. And in the picture, I saw myself praying for somebody. And as I was praying, um, nothing was happening. And as I looked at that picture, I just began to weep. And as I was crying and lying on the floor in a very undignified way, I just felt the Lord say to me, there's something that I want to give to you, but you won't get it if you carry on as you are. And that led to a number of things that happened, which ended up me taking a sabbatical in the summer. Um, Coming off the back of that sabbatical, I've never felt so energized and so excited about what God's doing and coming back. But the reason I tell you that story is that um, Tom and Rosanna have been, uh, they came alongside me, especially in that season. And uh, I was gassed. I was out. I didn't really realize it. And they have served and enabled me to do that, enabled the church to continue and Some of you will be aware of that, but many of you, the stuff that they've done has been behind the scenes. And I wanted to take a minute this morning just to say thank you to you both, because you've been a gift to me, you've been a gift to my family, and you've been a gift to this church. And we're going to miss you when you head back to England. Um, Can we just take a minute just to thank them? Thank you for doing that, church. I wanted, to, I wanted to do that as a way of honoring Tom and Roe, not just because it was appropriate to do, but because I want us as a church to learn how to, uh, to know how to honor one another and to recognize that we are a gift to one another. Do you know that? That we're a gift to one another? 
So turn to the person next to you and say, you're God's gift to OLCC. We're redeeming that label today. Some of you know that phrase in a negative connotation, but it's true, isn't it? We're a gift to one another, and there's, a, there's much that we can receive. And they have, been a, they have been a source of hope for me. Tom and Rosanna have been a source of hope for me. It's been one of the ways that God has brought hope to me in this season. So I want to pray for us as a church, and we're going to get into Romans 5 together. So Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you that you're here and that you're at work in us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Even now, would you increase what you're doing? Would you awaken us to the reality of your presence with us? And I pray that you would speak hope into our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. All right, if you want to turn to Romans 5, we're going to read that passage, verse 1 through 5, um, together. It's here up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And I'm reading from the NRSV, NRSV version this morning. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. All right. This morning I want to speak to us about hope and I want to speak about the power of hope and how it changes our lives. And there's two things that we're going to look at in this, in this section. There's way more than we have time to look at in these verses. But what we're going to focus in on is that we have access and that there is hope that we can experience even through suffering. So in the background to this, um, you will be, some of you will be aware that uh, Paul has spent some time uh, delivering this really tremendous defense of how we're made right in the sight of God through faith in Christ alone, and reveals that uh, the righteousness that by faith has always been God's design. Paul reveals how this was demonstrated in Abraham's life, and that God justified him by his faith. So chapter 5 begins with this beginning of, therefore, we have been justified um, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the term justified is a legal term, and it refers to this um, understanding that the, the barrier that existed between us and God has been dealt with, that there's been a, there's been a, a legal um, declaration that we, uh, our sin that was a barrier that prevented us from having access to God has been removed, it has been dealt with, and that we are now free from the accusation of sin, free from the, 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 uh, the, the, the things that, that hold us back from God. And if you like, it's a ruling that's been made, um, that's been made that by faith in Christ, we're pronounced clean. We're free from our mess, and we're wonderfully now heirs to the promise that was given to Abraham. We're now the people of God. And we can't miss this magnificent beginning. Even though our focus this morning is on hope, um, the foundation of our hope is this remarkable, unbreakable life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In case you're not excited yet already about this, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is God's gift to you. So we have this hope in access. This is where we begin here. We have hope in access. We have access, but to whom and to what do we have access? 
Well, we have access to Jesus, and what we have access to is the peace of God, is the peace, peace with God, and it comes by grace. You see, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have obtained access to peace. The enmity of our sin has been removed. Unrestricted access has now been granted to the presence of God. That means we get access all areas. This is like no limits to the presence of God. This is a place of freedom that we get to step into. If you're like, this is the backstage pass to the after party in heaven. This is the gift. This is the grace of God. We didn't earn it when we first believed in Christ, and we don't need to earn it access as we live lives following Jesus. In fact, the scholars uh, Walvoord and Zuck put it like this. They say that uh, important Greek manuscripts suggest the preferred reading of this verse is, let us keep on having peace with God. They go on to say that believers are not responsible for having or making peace, rather enjoying it. So there's this idea that it's a present continuous, it's an ongoing experience, that the implication is that we're meant to live in the grace and peace of God, not just receive it and have it ultimately in heaven. Wallace and the Sunrise community are going to be looking at the peace of God, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this and steal their thunder in a couple of weeks, but Isaiah 9, 6 describes Jesus of the Prince of Peace. So we have hope Because Jesus has overcome every opposition to peace, to conflict, to fear, to anxiety, to worry, to disturbances, and he now lives within us, which means we have access to that peace. But how do we actually enter into it? Well, I remember one time, um, there was a time in my life when I was gripped, I was terrified of offering an opinion. I was gripped with the, this fear that I wasn't good enough and that despite any education or experience or ability that I have, ultimately I wasn't very capable. And, I, and if I spoke up or if I tried my best in a given situation, I would ultimately be exposed and then everyone would know how unimpressive I really was. And that was a dominant feature. It was crippling in many ways and I live with a lot of limitations. Ironically, the way that God brought me into a place of freedom was actually through learning to prophesy. And it was the vehicle that God used to bring me into freedom. Pressing into a place of fear and vulnerability is often key to obtaining peace. Chris Vallotton uh, describes it like this. He says, the dogs of doom stand at the doorway to your destiny, which is very dramatic language. But there's something there, isn't there, about, that resonates about knowing that the things that God calls us to the things that he gives us to do in this life, there's often a sense of risk. And sometimes there's intimidation. Sometimes uh, we, we have a, a desire. And it's kind of scary sometimes to think, could we actually see that dream fulfilled? Could we actually step into a place where we see God do remarkable things? And so even though that's kind of dramatic language, I think it captures well something of what the experience can be like when we consider going after the things of God, the dreams that he's given us. But for me, I discovered through much trembling that if I prayed and asked God to speak um, to me for somebody else, um, something good actually tended to happen. And I I don't know if you can relate with my experience, but as I was stepping out into this place of um, seeking to encourage somebody just in a similar way as Brock did this morning, just a few moments ago, um, it uh, it it was almost like going into 
hyper overdrive. I had nothing to, 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 no education or experience to draw on really, but I was just stepping out and trusting God that he would speak. And that became um, the, the pattern for me, that God would uh, speak to me would, as I prayed and as I listened, he would speak to me about doing things and taking risks and trying and stepping out, even offering my opinion in settings as well. But what I discovered is that as I stepped into that place, there was his peace. There was his presence with me. And I began to see that it was better than anything else I might struggle to muster up myself. See, learning to prophesy for me was the doorway God led me through to discover my purpose in life. It was one of the ways he showed me that um, I'm greater, that he's greater than my brokenness. My question for us this morning is this. Where's your place of fear? Or where do you lack peace? Have you considered that this may actually be the place where God wants to meet you? At the intersection of fear and vulnerability is peace and hope. We have hope because we can know the kind of peace that changes our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning, no matter where you are on your journey, would you let Jesus meet you in the place of prayer and ask him to speak his words to you? The second reason that we have hope is that we have a great confidence. You'll see that in the verses it goes on to say that we can boast, um, where are we? That we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God, sharing the glory of God. So there is this uh, understanding within different translations that the word boast is sometimes rejoice. Um, but either way, I think it, the fruit of it is that it, is that there, it speaks about this confidence. And similar to how the wording, the grammar is in the description of peace, there is, this, there is this understanding that is an ongoing ability, an ongoing experience of rejoicing and boasting and having confidence of sharing in the hope of the glory of God. Having access to his presence means we have confidence because of the hope of sharing in the glory of God. Hope is important. In one sense, hope is about, it's having something to look forward to. Anyone excited about Christmas? Yeah? Yeah? I'm, I'm glad there's some enthusiastic voices within earshot right now. You want to know a secret about Esther Kerr? I don't think she's in the room right now, so she's going to probably tell me off later for this. Esther Kerr really loves Christmas. If you went to her house in October, you would see Christmas decorations. Yes, October. But she doesn't let on. She t sometimes, it, and we get close to the proximity of Thanksgiving, and she lets it slip that she's already got a few decorations up. And I'm like, no, Esther, you've had them up since October. We know you're looking forward to Christmas. She's, she's, she's crazy about Christmas. My family and I are, in about a week or so's time, we have the opportunity to go to Australia for Christmas. And my sister and her family live there. And uh, they, they emigrated there about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. And uh, we've not seen each other for seven years. And so you might imagine there is much excitement in the Milner household about getting to go to Australia for the first time, to be with my sister, to see my nephew and niece. And uh, there is a, this sense of what's enabled us to, to manage the time. This plan to go to Australia has been in place for about three years. And uh, what's kind of helped us keep going in the interim has been this sense of we have a hope that the day is going to come, that we're going to get to go and we'll be there. We're going to get to be in Australia with my sister, with her family, experiencing, yes, the golden beaches and the clear blue waters. Yeah, I, I won't talk about Australia. The point is not about Australia. 
I'm talking to myself now. The point is not about Australia. The point is this. We have a hope that one day we will be there. We'll ha- we, one day we have the hope we will be there in the presence of God, sharing in the glory of God, fully, fully present, fully with him. No more seeing dimly. No more struggling with the things that this life throws at us. No more having to contend with the reality of this world and the brokenness of all that we see around us. But one day, we will. We're going to get there. And it's going to be indescribable. That's powerful. That's powerful to remember today. We have a hope. Later, the verses talk about how the hope doesn't disappoint doesn't disappoint because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. We know it because he's in us. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Do you ever take the time to think about your last day or maybe the first day, depending on how you're thinking about it, that day? Do you ever daydream with Jesus where you look back on your life and think about what he'll say? What will it be like? Do you ever invite him to speak to you about your destiny? Ask him, what is it, Lord? What is it for now? What is it you've given for me to do in this lifetime so that when I get to that day, I'll look back and I'll know we did it. We went for it together. You know, Hebrews 11, it'll come up on the screen here. There's a few verses. It reads like a roll call of honor for men and women who went all in with their lives. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. It's just this list of people who are honored for the way that they live their lives by faith, trusting in the promise, trusting in that one day. And in verses uh, 13 to 15, it says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What we see in this chapter is that faith was the currency by which these heroes purchased what they needed for life. But their hope was their vision. They knew that the day would eventually come and regardless um, of what this life panned out, how it, went, how it went down, they carried hope in their hearts that one day they would see Jesus face to face and share in his glory. You see, faith is the foundation of hope. It provides the platform um, to be experienced. It provides a platform for hope to be experienced. So we have a great hope that our faith is established by what Jesus has done for us, not by anything that we've done or that we haven't done, but we build, we get to build hope by remembering what Jesus has made available to us, knowing that one day we will experience the full glory load, if you'll allow me to use that phrase, but also understanding that right now we have access to him Being justified by faith, peace with God and access to his grace means we can enjoy his presence because he made it possible. To summarize, it's 
if you like, prayer is the pathway into peace and grace. It's the place of breakthrough. It's the place of intimacy with God. It's the place where you can meet with the one who contains all that you need. Jesus is our hope. He's our peace. Um, He's not a conduit of that, but he's our very source. You get peace, grace, confidence. You get him. Hmm. And the second part that I want to focus on this morning is is how we can have hope in places of suffering. In verses 3 to 4, it talks about uh, that we have, if you can go back to the original slide, thanks. Um, And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The word for suffering there in the Greek um, can be understood to also mean things like afflictions or distress or pressures. And in James 1 verse 2, there's a cross-reference. He's talking about the same thing, um, the idea of suffering. And he uses language like consider it pure joy um, when you face trials of many kinds. Okay, so anybody else with me right here? Uh, One and two, great, right? Yes, Jesus has done it all. He's done it all. Yes, don't have to worry about all my mess-ups. Then we're like, verse 3, it's like, what? Uh, Hang on a minute. So, wait, we're going to suffer? And that's part of how he does this thing? So, it's a bit of a gear change. As I remember the first time I read this, and I was like, oh, that doesn't feel quite so fun. But you know what? There's this incredible... um, discovery that we can see here in these verses. Paul is saying we are to rejoice in our sufferings, that through our suffering we'll ultimately experience hope. There's a quote from the scholars I read from earlier who um, describe that, uh, that there is something greater that is available if we choose God's way to navigate life's challenges. And they describe um, these verses that Paul is writing in this way. They say, this is more than mere stoic endurance of troubles. Even though endurance or steadfastness is the first result in a chain reaction, outgrowth from distress. This is spiritual glorying in afflictions because of having to come to know that the end product of this chain reaction is hope. Paul's line of thought is, um, suffering produces endurance. It produces steadfastness in us. We learn in that place how to hold on to God. Suffering provides the opportunity to turn to God in prayer, to know him, to experience him, to, 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 to experience him holding us up, if you like, in those places of life's challenges. And what it produces in us is, is dependence. There's a biblical paradox which goes something like this. When I am weak, then I am strong. Because in our place of weakness, we learn dependence. And in the place of dependence is where the power of God rests on our lives. And so there is something for us to embrace here which feels counterculture. That actually in the place of afflictions or distress or pressures of life or the things that come at us, we can, there's a redemptive process that God wants to bring about. There is a place of transformation where we can experience him, where we can know hope being built into us as our character is formed in that way. That's challenging, isn't it? But it gives hope and it gives perspective for what life brings at us. Because we can say to the day, we can say to the life, the situation or the circumstances, I have hope. Because when I face challenges, 
God is at work in that place. God is at work in me. He's building endurance in me. He's building character in me. And that's going to produce a greater hope. Okay, great theory, right? So how does it happen? I hear you saying quietly, maybe. You know, I think what, one of the things that it means is it's a willingness on our part to connect with our brokenness. You know, there are different ways that we can understand brokenness. Um, perhaps it's in the sense of, um, like humility, it's a disposition of our heart towards God, a recognition um, that we need him and that he works in us and changes us. But also, there's an acknowledgement that we live in a world that is broken and we experience the effects of sin in this world and our lives are damaged. And we need that sense of what uh, Isaiah prophesied in in chapter 61 about the brokenhearted being bound up and what Luke 4 talks about, what Jesus said in the temple. You know, for me, I was really tempted to draw an example from about 10 years ago and I really felt the Holy Spirit challenged me to not do that. So I'm going to share something that's more recent. Uh, just earlier this year, Jennifer and I, uh, we've been married 18 years um, and we've, we've had a good marriage and we've learned some really amazing things. We've grown in our love for one another and our intimacy and friendship has been a joy. But we hit some difficulties earlier this year and we found ourselves in a situation where we were um, somehow missing each other, our communication. We kept um, getting into arguments over little things and somehow not feeling understood by one another. We found that it was, uh, it was becoming increasingly difficult to connect and actually enjoy one another. And I know I found for myself it was getting harder to see um, the gift that Jennifer was to me and how um, what an amazing person she is. But it just became challenging. And for both of us, that experience continued and it just became painful. Eventually, I found myself one time just talking to the Lord about this and saying, I, I really don't know what to do. I don't know. I couldn't, I, all the things that I've learned over the years, I didn't know how to get past it. And I just found myself saying to the Lord, I'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes um, for this to change. Would you, uh, would you just show me what it is? And God whispered to me, he said, ask me how to love her. So I did. And by the way, that's good advice if you're thinking about what to do when God says something to you. I would encourage you to do it. Um, that was a British understatement, by the way. So hear that for what that is. Do the thing that God tells you to do. And it was like a dam just slowly began to break in our relationship. I found grace to move towards her without needing to protect myself. You ever get in that situation if you're married? You Sometimes when things aren't easy, you feel the need to protect yourself and kind of, kind of defend your position and not allow yourself to be vulnerable. Well, that was one of the things that, that just came down. And I began to move towards her and things began to shift and change. As I practiced this position before the Lord, um, I was finding grace and power to love and to love in a meaningful way. See, here's my point. That as we learn how to live dependent on God, he enables us to withstand distress and the very act of standing in place produces endurance or perseverance, if you like. Connecting with our brokenness in God's presence is key, is the key to our character being formed as a result of persevering. Being willing to go to that place where you say to the Lord, whatever it takes, I want your way. 
When was the last time that you allowed your prayers about difficult circumstances to move from God, please change this or it to God, please change me? You may not be the original source or cause of the suffering. You may be in circumstances that not, were not really of your own making. You may not have done anything wrong. You might have. <laughs> Sometimes we don't always know that. But through the affliction, you may, become more connect, you, you may find that you've become more connected with your own brokenness. And if we're brave in this place and choose to ask God to change us, the gift hidden inside trials is a transformed character. It's Christ being formed in you. And I, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that is known for living this way. A group of believers who look different to the world, who experience what it is like to be made new. There's something about uh, when you meet somebody who's been changed by Jesus, it has a transforming effect on you. It, 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 it's somehow, effect, uh, it's infectious. It's, it's, it becomes this, I want that. I want to taste something of that. I know that when I watch uh, videos of Heidi Baker and I watch how she lives her life um, with the many children that they have uh, adopted in, in, in different places around the world, particularly in Mozambique, I'm challenged by the way she loves Jesus. And it makes me want to go after that and learn what is it that she's discovered in that place. Here's a couple of tips as we come to a finish um, on what to do in this place. You see, the, the place of brokenness, the place of um, creating, allowing vulnerability is the ground where the Holy Spirit does his most magnificent work. But it requires us to let go of control, I would suggest, and the desire to manage the outcome. It requires us to fall on Jesus and let the love of the Father come quickly to us. Psalm 51, 17 talks about how God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. And repentance is best understood as a change in our thinking. So this idea that God wants to show us things and reveal things to us that we don't see from where we are right now is key to this process. It's the primary work of the Holy Spirit, actually, is what he's doing. He's, he's changing the way that we think in order that we may act and live more like Jesus. I would encourage you, um, create that space to ask the Holy Spirit, are there lies that I'm believing? Are there things that I can't see that you want to show me? Sometimes God's voice to us comes through other people. Sometimes it's about paying attention to the people who are close to you and what they're saying. And we may not always like how that feels, but it's, if we lean in, there's often the gem or from the Father, a, a power-filled word that has grace to change. I don't know about you this morning and when you, what, where you've come from. Uh, I don't know what circumstances perhaps you're facing right now. But I would guess that hope is an important um, dimension of knowing God that would bring, make a difference to your life. Some of you perhaps are facing situations where you realize I've lost some hope. I, I'm stuck in a place. Um, circumstances have been hard for a prolonged period of time and I don't know how to find my way out. I want to speak to you this morning and say there is hope. There is a way. Part of it is, as we've been looking at, is going into that place in, of honesty before God. But also there's a community around you here. There's people who want to walk alongside you. I'd encourage you to reach out. 
Some of you may be recognizing that you're in a season where maybe things are not distressing to that point, but you, you realize that uh, you, you're aware of the brokenness around you. You've, you see brokenness, you see a lack of hope in the world or the people around you or even people who are close to you. And you're thinking, how do I, how do I, how do I bring hope to people? And I want to encourage you this morning to be, to be uh, uh, there's a story I want to share as a video as we finish here. And uh, the story is of uh, a guy called Shane Taylor. And Shane uh, will tell his own story and you'll hear it. Um, but his is one where God intervened at a point when he was at his lowest point. He was without hope. And uh, how God worked in his life to bring about not only redemption for him, but also for many others in a similar situation. And as we watch the video, I want to encourage you to be asking God, what is it that he's doing in you in, in, with this theme of hope? What is it he's stirring in you today? What is it he's speaking about? So if we go ahead and show the video. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burglars, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head, I ended up um, Stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder way. He dropped to the floor, and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system, and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have ride shields and ride gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair. And I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm gonna say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying and I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach and it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed and I just, right there. Because that was a change of my whole life. I knew God was real um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember 
<laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I... Because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first. So good works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got five kids and then my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad, have a life, they're beautiful. Um, and my life, is probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever He'll ever give me. Um, Didn't expect to cry like that. Recovered now. Would you guys stand with me? The band would come and uh, we're going to close up here. Um, Ministry team, if you're, um, if you're serving this morning, if you would come and be available. And I'm assuming that we have communion. I can't see because of the Christmas tree, but uh, we're going um, to take a moment here where uh, if you would like to respond, if you'd like to receive prayer, if you'd like to take communion, you can do that. But it may be that um, just this morning as you have been here with us, I want to uh, ask you to pray with me here. Would you just close your eyes for a moment and I'm just going to ask God to, to do something with our hearts this morning. If you're needing prayer for anything, do come forward. Hmm. Jesus, I thank you that we have hope today. I thank you that we have a hope that one day we'll be with you, that one day we'll see you face to face, that one day um, all this um, will be forever changed. But I also thank you that today we have hope because the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts. And I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you move in our hearts even right now? I pray for... Uh, every person in this room, every person in this building who's connected to this church community here, Lord, I pray that you would infuse the hope of God into us. I pray that you would infuse the love of God. I pray you'd awaken the love of God that is in us. Speak hope into our circumstances. Give us faith. Give us vision to see what you're doing. I thank you for Shane Taylor. I thank you for his testimony, the power of what you did in his life reveals to us what you're like and how you work. And I pray that for people across the room who are needing similar breakthrough, breakthroughs of difficult circumstances, that you would come and bring it about, that you would come and meet us in those places today. Hmm. Yeah.
We pray these things in Jesus' name.